Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. Those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And this week, my special guest is Dave Windorf, the vocalist and primary creative force behind New Jersey psychedelic rock veterans Monster Magnet. Monster Magnet are back with a better dystopia. It's their first album of covers. It's out via Napalm Records. It features the band's take on underrated rock gems of the late 60s and early 70s, including tracks by proto-metal acts like Dust, Hawkwind, Pentagram, The Pretty Things, and many more. On today's podcast episode, I talked to Windorf about what inspired him to record this album during the pandemic, how he was able to tie in vintage songs to our tumultuous present, what it was like growing up during the Donna psychedelic rock and metal during the 60s and 70s, what life was like for him during lockdown, and what Monster Magnet had planned for 2021 and beyond in addition to this album. So check out this latest episode and be sure to stick around afterwards. I'll be playing the band's cover of Dust Learning to Die off the new album. So first off, how's your day going so far? Well, pretty good. I actually stayed up super late last night. My sister had like one of the, um, insisted I come to a, a thing, you know, with like all her friends from the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. So I guess it's like the, the first big thing back since everybody got maxed. Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah. You know, suburb, you know, New Jersey, suburban, you know, mid New Jersey, suburban gathering. Um, after all that stuff and everybody's all like weirdly, everybody was, it was weird. Everybody was weird. It has been weird. I went to a, a party a few days ago and it felt really, really odd. Just, I felt almost like exposed and strange. And just it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take long, you know, it's like the thin veneer of civilization breaks down. All you need is little caveman action. You start to revert. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of lends me to my first question, which was it, Basically, during the pandemic, I mean, we're still going through it, but during like the worst phases of it, was that kind of the cabin fever that inspired you guys to get back into the studio? And were you originally going to do original songs, and was or, or was it always a plan to do covers? Or how did that whole evolve to do the new album? It evolved because um, really we got interrupted in the middle of of uh, a tour. It was a two part tour that was supposed to go one the first part in Europe, three weeks off, and the second part in America. So we were all like rehearsed for the power trip tour and we had just finished um, a month or about five weeks in, in Europe. And we just got out of there just in time. And we were there like, you know, we were in Milan two days before Milan went down so we could see it coming, you know, yeah. it was like, it's coming. And <clears throat> so we got shut down, of course. And I was like, well, I'm going to stop playing now. Um, and plus, if it looks like everybody's going to be in lockdown, we're going to lose our minds. You know, this is going to be, this is going to suck. Everybody's going to go fucking crazy. So we got to do something. And rather than make those guys wait while I sat in there writing the next record, because that's what I usually do is write all the songs. Um, I didn't feel like sitting there and writing during a, a lockdown. What a horrible record would be, you know? Yeah. It's not very inspiring um, to sit in there. So I was like, let's just, let's just do this. So. I just let's do a cover record, and this is the cover cover songs I want to do. Well, that was something I was going to ask about too. Is is doing covers? Was it easier to do that and less stressful versus new material? Because I, I've kind of talked to several different musicians about this, and some were saying they were felt inspired, but a lot of them, most of them, felt kind of sapped 
you know, just because it was so stressful thinking about things and even thinking about new songs was just kind of out of the question at this point. But I was wondering if that was kind of where your head was at too. It wasn't. No, I mean, I, I guess I could have wrote, I could have wrote, uh, but it would take time. And I didn't want to waste the energy that we had got up. Like I, like I said, like we're in between two tours and once you get all fired up like that, the band's like playing really good and everybody's, you know, together. It's a band. It like really is a band. So um, once you get that all cylinders going, I figured it was the best thing to do record while everybody had their shit together. And I didn't know, you know, how bad it was going to be later on. So it was better. And I thought it was just better to get something down. Didn't matter what it was, as long as it was cool. You know, it didn't matter who who wrote it. And um, I had this list in my back pocket for a long time. Anyway, there's always a list of covers in my head. I'm such a record mutant that all I all I you know do my whole life has been, man, I wish I wrote that song, or man, I'd love to sing that song. It never ends. So it's no problem <laughs> where to get. I mean, it, it hasn't ended since I was like 13. Like, man, I want to do that. Man, I want to do this. So this thing has been sitting around in one form or another for a long time. Another thing is really, I had to look tactically too. Like whatever record you release in the pandemic is going to be kind of like a sacrifice to the gods, meaning you can't tour it. Yeah. You're not going to make that much money off it. And since, you know, since we all know that music was stolen, pretty much thrown behind a paywall by Spotify and Apple Music a while ago, the artist is the last person to get paid for their music. It's a scandal. And it's been that way, but what are you going to do? Like, they quote-unquote save the industry, but it music is not worth what it used to. Artists really don't get paid a lot for their music. Publishing deals are small. The only place they have to go is live. And uh, and literally sell t-shirts and tickets to get their money. It's 21st century madness as far as I'm concerned, but um, I'm sure you've heard this from other people, but you'll see, you know, they'll be in the future. You'll see these people, class action suits goes against these guys. Stephen Tyler and Wilson Pickett went in there and tried to sue them. Anyway, so there's, there's the money. And so if you don't, and if you don't have a new record, to promote a tour, it's harder to get people excited about your tour. Yeah. The press and all that stuff really wants something to focus on besides just you. You know, like, okay, you know, Monster Man is going on tour. Well, why? Because <laughs> they're Monster Man? <laughs> Fuck you. You'll give me a new album. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? You and everybody wants to go. So it's important to time this stuff right, at least I think it is. So I just said, uh, all right, well, if we got to throw anything away, sacrifice to the gods, something, um, we'll sacrifice a cover record. Um, that's something that's, you know, not the first, not my first instinct to do, but given the songs that were on it and what I wanted to do with it, I thought it was totally the right time to do a project like that. Tie it into the pandemic, throw some history on it, the whole thing, you know? Just make this a, you know, point out my observation of that in in my life I've been through two quote unquote end times. Um, when I was a kid in the seventies, early seventies, uh, the media was just nuts, you know, and it was really crazy. I don't know how old you are, but it 
if you didn't live through it, how old are you? Um, I'll be fifty into the end of the, uh, June, so so I'm okay. So you've heard you've heard enough stories, and you're old enough to know, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, there were riots all the time. You know what I mean? Just imagine if what you saw last year when George Floyd thing, which is imagine that was every, was almost every weekend for like seven years. Yeah. Civil rights. And, uh, all you got to yeah. do is look at history and you'll see it. You know, things were on fire. Stuff was burning like all the time. I remember Newark, the town is not that far away from me. It was just on fire and there were snipers. It was a very, very violent and crazy time. And uh, we had all, all this shit going on at the same time. Vietnam, the Cold War, I mean, fear of nuclear war was still a huge thing. Yeah. It was on people's minds all the time. And acid, Charles Manson, it was bad vibes, you know? Really, really bad vibes. After 68, and I turned like 12 and 69, and the whole thing was like, uh-oh, 60 just went really wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, everyone's everything's coming apart. It's kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, I was 12, so, you know what I mean? I wasn't a grown-up. All I knew is that pop culture reacted immediately to it. It was very, very cool. Like, not all pop culture, but music did. TV didn't. Movies didn't. Not till a couple of years later. And all the stuff that happened in the late 60s, the only place you could see it, really see it reflected immediately was in music. Like, if those kids got shot at Kent State, and like two weeks later, there's a song called Ohio on the radio. You know? And that that just didn't happen back then. You know, I mean, TV would show it on the news, but you wouldn't see TV shows dealing with that shit, you know? Yeah, they kind of... And all of a sudden, you know, a, a rock guy, a rock band could write a song about something that just happened. Get it on the radio two weeks later, you're plugged in. You know, really, I mean, you felt like you're plugged in. It's like, okay, this shit's coming out. This is the way it is. The only people that make an end run around the gatekeepers of culture is music because music was not considered to be an intellectual property, but just an entertainment property by the record companies. But the kids and the music had advanced to the point where they were an intellectual property. It's just like the old people didn't know it. It was like a secret language, you know? It's like the secret language amongst young people. And it's important to notice that loud music hadn't, wasn't even, when I was 12, loud music was only about two or three years old. It was brand new. Hendrix came out in 67 and turned it up, but before that, it was, yeah, there was Beatles and Stones and stuff, but it was all turned down. Half the volume. So it was a crazy world, and it seemed like the music part of it and the culture surrounding it, counterculture, seemed to react to everything that was going on, and they were ahead of everything else. Not even the movies were that cool. You know, there was a couple of cool movies, but it, there wasn't that whole 70s, um, later 70s, 73, 74, cool, uh, Coppola, um, Scorsese, and all that kind of movement didn't really, really get going until a couple of years after. So it was just like a bunch of now aging anti-war activists and then a bunch of like teens almost tweens listening starting to listen to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and you know and stuff like that and all the stuff that came out of London like Jethro Tull and Emerson Lake and Palmer and it was just like a whole new weird thing 
very cool. Um, and they didn't promote the stuff in mainstream at all. They were only promoted in record companies. They literally like gave you a heads up on what was coming out. So you had to kind of go to the record store and you'd see these things would come out, these albums. And go, oh, I wonder what this is. You know, I, I read a shit. That was, rock journalism was created in 66. There was no rock journalism before 66, and this was 69. So they were making it up as they went along. I loved it. I thought it was going to be like that forever. I remember around 75 when Kiss came out, I was like, well, it's all over. <laughs> you could see that they that it was getting, you know, it was getting more like TV in the movies. You know, when the big business struck and the band started charging more and arena rock and stadium rock started, that was in the mid-70s. But that wasn't the case in the time I'm talking about. It was like a no-man's land. You know, it was post-60s activism, but pre-stadium rock and pre-high uh, tide ticket FM. The FM was still a free show. It was very cool. Um, I said that word about 9,000 times. <laughs> trying to better way. It was interesting in a way that, um, interesting in, in a way that I've never seen before, in meaning that the mainstream was trying to under, really trying to understand um, what was going on with music and kids. They were trying, you know, I mean, people would take a step down, like major journalists would go, what's going on in this rock scene? You know, <laughs> the word rock, the, <laughs> the word rock was divorced from rock and roll now. That was only a couple of years. You know, the, the word rock and rock generation was the first time we were They hadn't even made up rock star yet. It was like, what's going on in the music scene and what is all this weird stuff? And if you look at the output of, say, between 68 and 73, it's wild. And it's like, a, it's a renaissance of music compared to what came out before and after. I mean, well, maybe after, uh, but I mean, that's a big sound. It's a big sound change from, say, you know, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs to Court of the Crimson King. That's a big, you know, vibe <laughs> things in music, you know. Big sonic it went shift. From like garage rock and Rolling Stones and Beatles riffs to these fully fledged, almost concept bands. Like, how do you explain Jethro Tull? Like, where does that come from? <laughs> Flute. You know what I mean? <laughs> where does this come from? I mean, they're like young people that look like old people and they're going, and they're blowing flutes and shit. And they're like, <laughs> this did not come from the Beach Boys. Where did this come from? <laughs> Everything else before that, you could see a direct line of where it was coming from. But all of a sudden, after Hendrix and probably Sgt. Pepper and you know some other bands, Dylan, you know, all of a sudden people started just making shit up on their own. And the record companies could afford it because the bands weren't asking for a lot of money. This is pre-big rock star days. You know, this was, this was you know, being in a rock and roll band was not a big money maker. Um, it was decent, but uh, if you're looking, and I've, I've checked all this stuff because I'm fascinated with this. Like, why was that time so good? They weren't demanding a lot of money. The shows weren't huge. I mean, a festival was huge, but there weren't that many. You know, Woodstock, Altamont, that was a disaster. So it was just this weird little thing, and mainstream culture and intellectual culture tried to go in there and understand what's going on so that these guys music itself had a currency 
an intellectual currency. And I don't know if it was deserved or not, because, you know, I mean, I mean yes is great and everything, but I don't know if they're going to mm-hmm. move a needle on, you know, intellectual quality or anything. But yeah. basically, they created, they created their own universes that were complete amongst themselves. Um, much more than a factory line pop machine that had come out before that. So you've got a world where it's not just, oh, here's all the new kid bands. We all, we all know they're dancing to the same beat. They weren't. It was like, you got Emerson of Palmer. Yes. Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, um, the Eagles. Um, everyone's doing different flying the family stone. It's like, it's different. Everybody had their own sound and stuff. And beneath all that was this really weird kind of throwaway, the guys that didn't make it, you know, old ex-garage punkers and people holding on to, to uh, Psychedelia it's... and pushing it through in in this kind of paranoid time of like how I started this with Vietnam and all this stuff, where it was actually possible to or at least for people to try to really, uh, quote-unquote, tell it like it is. Um, I'm sure had drugs had something to do with it, but I think it was more just this this uh, widening, you know, or just a widening field. It's kind of uh, like it, it's kinda like it had a... I'm sorry. I would say it's kind of like it had a few years to be kind of pure, and, and before people tried to commodify it, it was like a few years of just kind of hitting yeah, the... It, Exactly right. I mean, it took them, they tried to figure it out and they couldn't figure it out. Finally, somebody figured it out in the, in the around 72 or 73. And I forget the guy's name, but he was a FM programmer in, uh, he's famous now, famous for saving the radio industry, but actually he ruined, you know, he, he kind of like the guy that made FM, you know, he's the guy that gave us Boston, you know, you know, here's the band Boston, the perfect FM rock band. I was like, no, <laughs> this is not a good move. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> I have fucking Grand Funk and Black Sabbath on the radio in Boston, but they found a way to to make FM more like an AM thing, an album oriented rock, and the whole that whole party was over. It was gone. I remember I lived through it because uh, I grew up with it in real time. I remember like noticing it around seventy four. You know, it's just the amount of records that are coming out, and the records are like weird. Um, there's a lot of soft rock from bands that you didn't expect they were going for hits, FM radio hits. So all of a sudden, you got bands like Blue Oyster Cult, which would release three unbelievable albums. Yeah, they're great. I mean, those first three Blue Oyster Cult albums, I don't care what anybody says, those things are fucking awesome. I mean, lyrical content, it's a. These guys are singing about old, like, 1920s pulp detectives. They're mixing in, like, Nietzsche stuff. They're daring to go towards, like, fascist rock. World War II, World War One. Really cool music. It's like, I don't know where you get this kind of, like, jazzy. Anyway, they're really, really good. Um, and if they, would, if they would have just stayed with those three albums, they'd be, like, you know, considered, like, the, one of the greatest bands of all time now, I think. But next thing you know... You know, FM rock is in, and they have to write uh, nothing against Don't Fear the Reaper, but you know what I mean? You could see where they were going. Yeah. You could see where everybody was going. If you wanted to survive in the business, you were going to have to get something on FM, um, the new FM. 
So a lot of experiment, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff started to end and started going for, for bigger stuff. But I don't know how I got off this one, but <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Well, I think I'm so on it because that was my time of consciousness raising. You know, your conscious kind of really opens up around 12 or 13 when you're a kid. You're kind of outside your parents' influence. Mm-hmm. You start noticing stuff on yourself, by yourself, without anybody. You know, even if you're supposed to be at church or wherever your, your eyes are starting to go and you're processing um, all this stuff. And it just happened to be at the time where my eyes, at the time that I woke up, <laughs> um, at the time that I was woke at the time as I was woke, the country was like on its knees, you know, burning, you know, it was like, somebody mentioned that to me. It was like, it's like coming into the, 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 the eighth act of Macbeth, you know, like growing up in the late sixties was, or coming of consciousness, just like walking in on the eighth, in the eighth scene of Macbeth. Like what happened here? You know? <laughs> what, what's going on? You know, it's kind of military and cops and, and, Freaks and you know, I was like, wow, this is a black light, you know, black light posters everywhere. And like, well, it's pretty cool. Well, that's one thing I think about the album that that's that that are dystopia that's so cool is that you kind of hit that sweet spot, like you said, before things got commodified and, and right when it was kind of this exposure to getting heavier and and more experimental. And one thing I like mm. about discovering bands is I love hearing bands talk about their influences and discovering bands I never heard about before. Like a lot of grunge bands told me to, about the Stooges. So I went back and found the Stooges stuff like that. And what I like about this yeah. album is turning it onto a bunch of bands I really wasn't familiar with before. So was it always an intentional decision to kind of pick songs off the beaten path a little bit, or was that kind of yeah, how that? Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, I know that has its value. I mean, it always did for me. I remember buying compilation albums and being so happy with them. Like Pebbles and Nuggets of songs I had never heard before um, that came out in the 80s, which were collections of 1960s garage punk bands, and they were just my favorite thing. I was like, I love these compilation albums. And then there was um, The Cramps. Oh, yeah. Like when I was when I was like 18 or 19, when I finally started getting into my own bands, which was, in, you know, into music, The Cramps were around. The Cramps were like a library of that stuff. And they would cover all these obscure songs, and that's how I found out about it. So I was I figured I was just figuring uh, or continuing in that tradition. So I couldn't go, you know, I couldn't really go wrong um, doing it that way. Like nobody's going to give me any shit. Like, oh, you fucking douchebag, you know? Like, um, <laughs> I, I'd rather have people go. I don't recognize any of the songs. Then you did a horrible version of Communication Breakdown. <laughs> Can you imagine? What are you doing? Guess what? You won't believe it. Dazed and confused. Uh, like, oh my God. <laughs> and also, I just wanted to make it, make sure that the, all the songs sounded like they could come off conceivably a Lost Monster Man record. Yeah. I was like, these things have to be in the wheelhouse. Uh, they All these songs inspired me to start Monster Man in the first place. So, you know, the wheel, the wheel is complete, my friend. The wheel is complete. <laughs> Well, I, I, what I like too is that you mentioned earlier how you kind of picked the the album title and song titles that kind of symbolize what we've been through with the pandemic. How did you kind of get that idea to tie the past with the present in that way? I thought that was really interesting. Just because, I, as usual, I'm a big poop, you know. I'm like, I haven't been happy with music since punk rock died. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those. I'm one of those guys. I've been complaining like. 
since I was a teenager, because of my punk rock, like like I said, this was the the music I'm covering now. This is all from me from like 12 to 17 and say 12 to 17 or 18. After that time, when things got weirder, I just gravitated towards punk rock because that was the natural, like the bands that I'm talking about now, that shit was all gone. Things happened fast back then. Mm-hmm. You know, things didn't, it was not like the internet where the stuff lasts forever. If the record didn't make it, it was forgotten. So it was like a brand new world every year. Um, punk rock got me into an attitude, introduced me to the attitude that, and I, was, and I still agree with it. Man. It was just like, well, you know, rock and roll was great. The sixties were really good, but like, well, now what do you got? And, uh, you know, what's the next step? And if it's just going to be like prog rock and, and FM radio, uh, you know, it's going to be more like prog rock and FM radio than this really, really sucks. You got to do something else. So that's my went to punk rock, but it gave me that attitude forever. More of a uh, kind of a cynical, like, what do you got for me? Yeah. All the, all, you know, it was, it was up to, in my mind, it was up to kids. It was up to kids and musicians. Because musicians were still kids back then. They weren't older guys, you know what I mean? It was not like now. There was nobody like me around. Like if, if my if my eighteen year self would t- would tell my now self to get the fuck out of the room, you know what I mean? There weren't old people in rock. I mean, the old people were like thirty five. Rock was too new. It wasn't that kind of situation. It's like get out. So, <laughs> yeah, it was like you're not welcome here. You know, old people suck. You, know, you have nothing to say. You you can't understand it. I mean, it really was that. I mean, in the in the 60s, it was like, you know, don't trust anyone over 30. And uh, it's kind of better. <laughs> you think about all that. Well, you know what I mean? It was cooler meaning, you know, who knows it's better, you know, from an artistic standpoint. It's a horrible thing to say because most people get better when they, when they get older um, at one point. But in a truly, in the, in the truest sense of the rock and roll ethic, pure as possible rock and roll was invented by young very young people to sell to other young people it never in its wildest dreams had any plan to sell to anyone over 25 yeah it's definitely you know, it focused didn't occur to them you know it didn't occur to them and then uh all the changes of massive fucking massive cultural changes in the 60s just cemented that even further it's like this is us. We got a way of talking. You know, it's like hip hop was for for black kids. Except this was white kids. This is white kids hip hop. Middle class white kids, smartest kids ever on the face of the planet. After World War II, they got a better education than ever before. And there were lots of them. Half the population was kids. You know, half the population because of the baby, but half of like fifty fifty. And I think for a while, their name, it felt like there were more kids than there were adults. Like families were like four kids, six kids, eight kids. So it was like, this is a kid's thing, man. This is the young people's thing. Fuck you guys. Um, Generational divide. Long hair was, yeah, yeah. It was, and so it was, the, like I say, it was the white, uh, white kids, middle class white kids version, early version of, of their hip hop, secret language. All that stuff, all that hip speak that people make fun of now, that was a real thing. You know, it didn't come from just TV shows and stuff. It was real. Very interesting. And it's really 
after it kind of hit the wall, sold out like everything else in America does. I mean, commodify, commodify, commodify. Um, then punk rock was the only, seemingly the only answer was to turn in on itself. And I think everyone tried to make punk rock a, a, an organic movement, but it really, it wasn't a mass culture movement. It was more like an intellectual movement. Didn't really settle in, you know, didn't take over. It was like, I remember always telling some of my friends that music nuts and nerds like me, like as we got older, you know, as we hit 30 and stuff, you know, the old age of 30 going, well, so where do you think it's going to go? I was like, it's done. Everything was done by 74. (laughs) Everything has been done since by 74. From here on in, it's a fucking ka-ching, ka-ching. Anything that's going to happen is not going to happen on a mass culture level in, in that kind of spectacular American fashion where the lunatics run the asylum. It's going to be very interesting stuff, but it's going to be in that niche. Whether it be art, rock, punk rock, or whatever niche you want to call it. And very few times has it really turned into anything else since then. I mean, cool stuff and great music and stuff, but I've never seen it as a massive um <clears throat> pushing the cultural needle or anything. It's like a one-time deal, I think. Well, that's what I think is so cool about the songs that you pick for this thing, whether it was like, you know, you know, dust waiting to die or ready to go by Hawkwind or pentagrams before warned, all these kind of songs are, you can kind of see they're kind of at the tipping point of, or just like the beginnings of punk and metal. Like they, you kind of see where that they were kind of headed towards that direction before it actually became those things. I know you can hear it in the music, right? Yeah. Downstrokes of guitars. Um, bah, 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 um, this basically, um, starting to, you know, kids starting to realize um, and, and put together the energy of, of previous rock and roll downstrokes and, and guitar stuff with extra volume and madness because the, the time was certainly mad. So why not? Um, and focus in on that kind of emotion, um, the kind of stuff that would never occur to them five or six years earlier to have a negative sound. I mean, it was, you know, it never occurred to bands before that to actually incite people to, you know, bang their head or anything. It was like, you always want, you know, music up to that point had been, let's make people happy with it. <laughs> the, the aggression wasn't there yet. <laughs> and, no. And it wasn't just like, well, let's just get, you, know, you could feel it was coming. You know, it really did. I mean, I thought, I thought it really did mirror, mirror society. And I kind of thought it back then, even when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is, um, this is kind of the way I feel. And, uh, you know, before the days of internet and stuff, it's like, you didn't think of writing your own manifesto, you know, writing, I'm going to go out there and like, unless you were some activist politician, yeah, you, you basically express yourself through your music, not, not yourself, not like now where you just go and blab 24 hours a day. You know, sometimes I think wor- words, you know, words have really pushed art to the side in this world today typing in words. Yeah. Cause there's that primal yeah. aspect. You don't want to get too far away from that makes it rock for it. You kind of want to make it too polite or too explanatory. I guess there is that rawness. Yeah. It's strange. Yeah. Raw. Um, and I was just writing something about this the other day. It's just like, um, when people have the time or, or just in that time in history where people are willing to lean into ambiguous lyrics and try to figure out what was going on in them. 
you write really ambiguous lyrics now and pop, they'll throw you out of the club. They're like, why'd you tell me what you mean? I, I need your motivation. You know, why are you writing this nonsense? You know? And it's, it's weird. I mean, we just went through four years of Trump and a, and a crazy post-truth, you know, whole blah, blah, blah. I mean, it hasn't been, like, it's been talked about way enough. I haven't seen it pop up in any kind of uh, real pushback or, or addressing that in popular music. It's like they want to pretend it's not there or something, or just don't know how to deal with it. There's like no protest anthems anymore. They, they've kind of just, I don't know where they are, yeah, but I, I haven't heard them. What do, you, what do you protest? Like the world, you know, it's like, at least I guess in the old days, it was in a monoculture, it was easier to blame like one or the other. Now it's, it seems to be everybody blame your, your, the tribe next door. You're wrong. You're wrong. I mean, I mean feminists can't get together. Kids can't get together. Nobody gets together on anything. They're all fighting each other over picking fly shit out of pepper. It's almost <laughs> like just, you know, just battling, just battling because you can, and uh, and not enough dream time. Yeah, it's like but it's like a lot of time for uh, for that and music. While it still can be a very transportive experience, um, has a lot of competition from modern fantasy elements such as movies and stuff and movies got a lot better at creating fantastic worlds that can't be replicated without billions and billions of dollars and music of course used to be able to do that with just thirty thousand dollars you know you listen to fragile by yes and you're in you're in yes land you know Mm -hmm. in your head you're in a multi-billion roger dean multi-million dollar you know if that was a movie you'd have to get roger dean to do the movie and and you know, to paint all these things, it's just a whole different world. It's competition now for people's uh, dream time. So it seems to me like a, a lot of the art, at least the mass mass art, mass culture, likes their art as an uh, as a an adjunct yeah, um, to to their feeling. You know, it's like here's my favorite song, and this is what I mean. But it's definitely not like. Where's the music going to take us? It's like, how can I use the music to bolster my um, my opinion? I suppose it was inevitable. Yeah, it's like I keep waiting for some kind of resurgence to come back, and it's just it's just not not happening. At least not yet. But you kind of hold out hope that it's going to happen in some weird way that you and I will probably be against it. That's when you'll know it's like, exactly. Like, I don't know, man. I don't understand what those kids are doing. It's, un- it's uncool. <laughs> they know, it'll be like three, three bald children, like you know, nine-year-old children using mental telepathy in the desert, just beating on a bongo <laughs> and uh, and speaking Esperanto. And somehow it'll be like a computer virus that goes into every. Oh no! 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 Like, oh, oh! There's a new rock and roll. <laughs> Wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, kind of a flip side of, of the other songs I mentioned is was "Death" by the Pretty Things, and that's probably my favorite song mm-hmm. on the new album because it's so unique and kind of understated. It's somber. Yeah, too. yeah it's just that's it's kind of what a fucking song. It's, it's kind of different for you guys in that respect. Was that a fun one to tackle? Uh, and was that kind of shift in tone intentional? Since that was kind of yeah. the lone, not really a ballad, but the Absolutely. lone. It needed a breather. The record needed a breather. You know, I always look at records as like a, 
you know, it's a destination. Um, there's a destination. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know, with a couple little bus stops here and there. So we needed something to break up the, the lav rock. And I love little songs. I mean, I've been writing tiny little drumless songs forever on Monster Man Records. They're all over the place, usually at the end of the records. Songs with no drums, just big vocal and weirdness. So this one fell into that category. So um, uh, the pretty things were like this amazingly, you know, underrated, I think, man. They did lots of stuff in the 60s. But at the same time, the Beatles were doing it, making up cool concept records and stuff. And they had this song, Death, which I just thought was the coolest thing in the world. I said, what a mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the whole thing. It's like a funeral drum in the back. You, know, you can just see the guy walking along. and bringing the coffin down from the graveyard from some poor old bastard that died and go on fish on Gloucester or whatever English place you want to make up. Man. <laughs> he lived a good life, and now he died and cast on on trout. <laughs> now his grandchildren look in the uh, in the original, you know, in the original thing, the guy's like, you know, he's like eighteen years old singing the song, so he's got this beautiful, high pitched, you know, non cigarette voice. So I figured the best way to do it is just do it from the old guy's perspective, you know, you know, let him hear the cigarettes and let him hear the the age in the song to make it creepier, add a little fuzz to it make it a little bit more menacing, but not fuck with, I'm going to fuck the originals too much. The original songs are, are really bizarre and cool. And I, that's my favorite song on the record too. It's fun to make. Yeah. It take long. Either. It's got a really cool atmosphere to it that almost kind of like pre goth, you know, it had it's that real kind of sinister dour feeling to yes. it. So I really, really like that one. I swear, man, I mean, if, you, if you go deep diving, through late 60s and early 70s you can honestly you'll bum yourself out and then be like well yeah what really was all done so in that time so many people touched maybe they didn't they didn't capitalize on it but they touched on almost everything that came after somebody was touching on something that came after like you said proto metal proto goth proto whatever you got put a proto in front of it you'll find it very interesting you know my, I think one of my favorite times in music for um, adventure. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the quality of the music, but for, I, I can think of a more adventurous time. Kind of like an anything is possible kind of vibe out there. Where just I think that people believed it too, because they were going, like I said, they were making an end run around the gatekeepers. Um, just imagine if you could... Like people make and, and runs around gatekeepers all the time now with YouTube sensations and viral videos. But the only thing that stops it from being the next big thing is that there's a million people behind it doing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we can't have the rock and roll thing like we had last time because the rock and roll thing was at that sweet spot where uh, the media was fast, but they weren't that fast. It was so oversaturated. Came up with, yeah, oversaturated. And just there's just too many, too many acts, um, and uh, going so fast that nobody can pay attention that fast. But back then, there was a belief, you know, that you could have something like, like you know, if you could, a few years before the real people, the heavyweights that moved the needle, um, Bob Dylan could make lyrics the most important thing on a record. 
that was impossible to, you know, ever think that people would do that. I was like, what do you mean? Where's the beat? You know, how are people going to dance? Like, no, well, this guy's like a poet. I said, like, poets don't belong here. You know, it's like, we don't want poets in rock, but he did it. <laughs> so there's people that were listening to other stuff, rock, and were also like leaning in, listening to a guy speak. And then the Beatles started doing stuff in, in, you know, rock and roll music that just wasn't done, bringing elements of classical and Indian music and all this stuff. So it became a heavier deal, more literary. And then they started treating albums as the truest, truest meaning of an album. It's a collection of things sequenced in a way to bring you through chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. It was a, a massively new, almost unthinkable concept at the time this stuff came out and it set, it set the bar for everybody forever. It's kind of lost the plot since then, but I know I sound like a, a wistful, you know, like non forward thinking musician, but I, I can't go Every time I want to go back to the well on something, it's like, I go back to those days because it was a possible, people did think there was a possibility for that stuff to last. And again, that's what I mean about the Dylan thing. Medium moved fast enough to carry your message around the world, but slow enough for you to actually be a thing. It caught on, you know, at a, at a good pace. A couple of TV appearances, a lot, a lot of build up to record stores and tours, and you were entrenched for a while. Yeah, at least a good two or three years. Now it's like, man, you can have stuff that would blow Dylan and Beatles sales away in one day, and it's gone by the end of the week. Yeah, it's you know? very little shelf life anymore. Just kind of moved on to the next thing. There's not, there's not, a, there's not too much competition to to have your own lane, yeah. I guess. In some ways, I wonder how it's all going to pan out. Like, like there's got to be. It's certainly possible for it to be the greatest time ever. We've got all the tools for it to be. You know, it's like a weird Star Trek episode. I'm trying to figure out the end of it. Like, and then, <laughs> where do they do to fix? You know. And everything was great, except everyone like started acting like children and, and <laughs> yelling and screaming at each other. How long did the argument last? Twenty-five years. Like, no, <laughs> humanity argued with itself at full volume for twenty-five years. <laughs> Fuck me. Well I, well, I think that's one of the things too that makes a better dystopia so great is that you did put attention to the sequencing, and it, it even though it's covers, it feels it feels like it flows like a, like a regular album. Like it, it, it goes together. And like you said, it, it still sounds like, like you guys, it sounds like monster magnet. If you didn't know any better, you, you would like for me, if I had just heard this album without knowing the influences or, or researching them, I'd be like, Oh, this is new monster magnet stuff, which is, I think a kind of a compliment to, to oh, how, how you guys absorb that. But I was curious if doing these covers inspired any new songwriting ideas or change in approach to how you guys play. Did that have any effect like that? I'm sure it's gonna because I mean I was I got outside of my comfort zone for singing so I was like man you know what the fuck you got lazy in the last couple of years I remember writing the last record and the last record I did and I you know I wrote it and I remember writing you know getting the keys together I was like yeah okay I can handle this you know I can go up and down in in this key and sing they weren't that much different from my normal keys but uh, I think definitely somewhere along the line I kept thinking about making the song, making the key of song um, in a spot where I could deliver at a hundred percent quality at every step in the song. 
And these songs were outside of my comfort zone. So I had to sing outside of quality notes. I mean, I had to try harder. And I listened to the vocals back. I was like, I like this guy better than that guy. You know, just pulling my, looking at me as the singer. I'm like, what's the difference between this song and that? So it's not the song. And I'm like, why, why does the singer sound different? Because one guy's trying harder. So that's what it really taught me. It was like, take more chances. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like sing outside, you know, shred the voice, fuck it up. You know, like, what do you got to lose? It's not like I'm, you know, I'm 64 years old for fuck's sake. It's not like <laughs> I have to go out there. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I got to sing this song in 50 years. You know, it's like, I'm sure that's what Led Zeppelin did. Like, oh my God. You know? <laughs> you know, Robert Plant, you know, when he's 18, he's like, how am I going to sing Communication Breakdown when I'm 30? <laughs> he couldn't. That's, that's, um, that's why he won't reunite with yeah. him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of considerations, but yeah, that I learned from that, and plus the guys, and we all learned that um, um, in in as far as uh, making careful considerations around making albums, sometimes the careful considerations should be made after. Some of the careful considerations should be made not too early, but. Um, you given the material, whatever that would be, whether it be a song I wrote or a song that the cavemen wrote or whatever, and just fucking hit it without much consideration is whether we could pull it off or whether we could um, do it exactly, but whether we can make it exciting as possible and, and sometimes as short as possible. So it taught me all kind of, it brought me back to like a little pop ethics of brevity and, uh, and then just pure human ethics of like, how do you want to voice the sound? You know, like, you know, I, I tend to sing more than growl. I mean, I, I growl, I sing, but I'm an old time singer. Mm-hmm. I'm a modern metal guy. So I've been to those guys. It's either with modern metal, it seems to either be a, it's a bluesless affair. Let's just say. Yeah. Cookie monster vocals, which is cookie monster. But then like this really like me, 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 you know, to prove that they can, not just do Cookie Monster, they'll have a little emo part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little emo. Yeah, a little emo. You got it. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a little emo, a little thing. Okay, you know, maybe put a girl in there. Okay, you know, that'll make it nice. And, uh, but there's no blues. And I, and I'm, Why is that, do you think? Blues. I don't know. It's like the embarrassment of the fucking world to me. It's weird. I mean, that's why modern, modern metal is not cool. And, uh, People get me mad. I mean, Monster Man has been in the metal ghetto now for 30 years. You know, I didn't ask to be put there. You know, <laughs> nobody asked me. Hey, we'll put you in the metal section. I was like, what? I was like, what have I got to do with fucking Slayer, you know? I've got nothing to do with this. Um, nothing against you guys, but it was like... But anyway, so I've been dealing with it, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just like a white kid thing. Um you know, it's very, very syncopated and um, not lazy. I mean, it's not Sabbath. You know, it's like they all the good rules from Sabbath. All these bands forgot <laughs> the jazzy, the lazy, bum 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 bum. You know, heavy. And I mean, tight enough, but not tight so fucking tight that it's like a pneumatic drill. I think maybe it's maybe the. <laughs> And it's hard to say what modern metal is because there's so many subgenres. But let's take the modern metal thing now, which I call fantasy metal. Yeah. 
you know, which is basically all these concepts of, I don't know what, who started this shit? <laughs> Iron Maiden a million years ago, but we're going to sing a song about the wall and the great fantasy wall that was built. It's like a uh, game of Thrones metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guitars sound weak, like, like they're made out of plastic and there's a lot of synthesizer in there. What? Where's the rock? <laughs> very impressive. It's impressive live, but like I said, there's no blues influence. And it's not like I want to sound like Muddy Waters, but I want to sound like a human. Yeah. Not a Broadway. You know, I, it's like I'm not a Broadway guy. Um, so there's that. And I think that that's another reason why, you know, songs like this. And yeah, I think most of Monster Man was kind of based in, in on blues and garage rock and early metal. Um, big difference between that and what the overwhelming metal crowd wants. But it's always put us in a, in a weird position, kind of a fourth dimensional situation, which I don't mind being in. Cause I kind of knew it would be that way anyway. Well, that's what makes you guys unique. I mean, I mean, I would expect nothing less than a cover albums of stuff. That's not your traditional cover stuff. That's what makes you guys monster magnet and why you've got right. such a hardcore fan base that, that, gravitates towards that stuff i think mm -hmm. yeah the people that get it are like really 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 cool and i love them they're usually big music heads you talk about music history and talk about you know interesting phenomena that happened in music that maybe wasn't on the radar at all and um it's so <clears throat> so much more fun to go deep diving um for this stuff it makes it it seem new you know, it's, a, it's like music always seems new and fresh if you go deep diving for stuff rather than go back to the exact same well every time. Mm -hmm. um, and since there isn't any real new music, you know, there hasn't ever been. It's just a matter of juxtaposition of one style against the other, or lyric against chord or a different way to record the drums or it's kind of different sound, different vibe. It's a... Uh, it's always my job to make sure that, that it's coming from um, people, you know, that there's a voice behind this, you know, it's kind of speak it sometimes, kind of yell it. Um, I mean, just like all the songs on this, on this record have that kind of thing to it. You know, that the, the vocalists on the record have a personality, you know, they're, they're singing like kind of old school, but sometimes they'll speak and, you know, croon or whatever. Fun. Really fun to do. Well, I guess now that, you know, we're slowly, you know, people, vaccinations are getting put out there and there's talk of live music happening again. Have you guys figured out if you'll be doing any more touring or are you still kind of waiting and seeing or. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm totally back. So I'm like, put me in coach, you know, like let's fucking go. Um, but, uh, there's a, also a huge line, you know, it's like every band in the world wants to go out. Yeah. So, our, my target would always be Europe first because I've always done Europe first for years and years because Europe is just a way more welcoming attitude towards the kind of music we do, you know, in America. And uh, But unfortunately, Europe is slow on the vaccine draw, you know, so they're going to take them a while. And what I can see now, all the, all the shows that are coming up now are mostly festivals in the States. Right? Then they just announced like a huge amount of festivals this week. Yeah, right, fest and... In Psycho Las Vegas. Lollapalooza. Yeah. Psycho Las Vegas. And uh, 
So I, I, we're, I know I've got a tour booked for next year in next summer in Europe, and that should go. And I'm going to try to get something to, to fill in, maybe starting this fall, if I can go in there. I'm ready. I know we're going to do, probably going to do a couple of anniversary shows of Spine of God, which is our first album. And uh, that's like 30, I can't believe it's 30 years, but yeah, it's been 30 years since our first album, first real album. So we'll probably do a couple of shows celebrating that around Christmas time. I love it. You guys can make it down to Texas at some point. I know that's not always easy to do. I but... wish. Uh, yeah, I want to go to Texas. I love playing Texas. Texas has fucking always been one of the greatest places to play. Because Texas has just got it all. It's got you freaks. It's got every, you know, it's like a really significant, significantly different place. It's almost like a different country. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <It is. laughs> Where are you playing? The States plus Texas. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much it. You think? Yeah, you get... well, that's what makes it cool. You know, that's what makes it cool. It's like you never know. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. I mean, I just don't know how soon. Maybe, perhaps in the winter time. I mean, if I can get something before this, uh, before the summer shows in Europe, I can get something in the winter. We had stuff like we canceled the Power Trip tour, so. That was still on the books for the longest time that we were going to do this song, uh, this tour celebrating Power Trip. Although, with this record now, of course, all I want to do is these songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm dying to get these songs. I think this make a great set, a live set, you know, all this shit. You think, do you guys have any new music in the works too, or you kind of got to take your time on that? Or Yeah, yeah, I started writing a bunch of songs and, uh, you know, typical. Uh, typical my fashion, a bunch of them don't really fit anywhere. They're really bizarre. And uh, so some of them show up on the record, probably some of them would just go in the weirdo dump. <laughs> I tend to write <laughs> mellow songs more than ever. You know, I mean, after like, you know, 30 years of writing, you tend to like, all right, if I fucking do these chords one more time. Uh, so, it takes me a while to gear up to stuff that's that would be more of a you know the monster man aficionados of idea of a monster man record. <clears throat> so I'm starting to write now, and there's there's heavy stuff and there's other stuff. But it's not a record yet, though. So I'll be writing, and uh, maybe that'll come out next year. But if I get booked all next year, if I could just tour next year and just say adios to all this shit, I'd do it. The touring thing is a very, very addictive lifestyle. Um, it's uh, hard to explain to people. Um, once you make the commitment to tour and do that, your whole attitude changes towards life in general. Like time moves differently. It, you know, you're kind of outside of time. You really jo- your job is you get a restart every day. Your only job is to make people you know reasonably happy. You know, or do something that affects people in some sort of way and get it back from them. So you get to walk out and actually see real humans. You know, you do what you do. You see humans, they look at you, you look at them. And then if you didn't do your job, it's like, oh, that wasn't that great. Oh, well, thankfully we can have another, you know, we have a do-over tomorrow. And that doesn't happen in normal life. <laughs> you know, it's a great way to live. Cool. Yeah, well, plus it's the lifeblood of, of your operations too i know this has been so stressful for musicians not being able to play out has been probably maddening so i'm glad to see this starting to come back slowly but surely so <clears throat> yeah 
that's going to be, I would imagine live music is going to do better than ever for at least a couple of years after this. Yeah, I would, I would hope so too. Cause there's people are ready. I think beyond ready to get out of the house and listen to something and see some, see people. Riot. Go out and riot. Yeah. They want to see, they want to see something. They want to see other people living. Smell the stink. <laughs> Smell each other. Mate. I'm going to go outside and mate. Yes. Please go outside and mate. It has to be done. I keep trying to think for, you know, there's not really another time in history where so much stuff got shut down. So, but not in this country. I mean, yeah, in World War Two, you know, when you're bombing a living shit out of people and everyone like stays in their houses and hides. But aside from that, I don't think there's ever been any organized like pull out of society. I mean, if you could say that about with the internet, if it wasn't for the internet, you know, half of us would like to have killed each other by now. But, <laughs> yeah, this is it's a new one on me. Can you imagine without the internet? Oh no! Uh, yeah, that was like the life. National cabin fever. <laughs> Uh, well, I worked at home, which was, which was good, but you know, I'm glad I had that option, but it was, yeah. it was, it was stressful, especially trying to take care of a, of a, of a five-year-old while <laughs> working. In. Oh my God. Five years old. It was like, man, if I could tap the energy of a five-year-old, I'd be fucking king of the universe. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do whatever they want and they sleep whenever they want. They just go. 150 miles an hour, and then fuck you. <laughs> I'm just going to charge the battery and come back at you. It is, it is, yeah, they say youth is wasted on the young, and I get it now. I, if I had the energy that I had back then. George Bernard Shaw. You ever read George Bernard Shaw? You should read him. He's a fucking prophet. He's the guy who said that. He said, a lot of cook. It's totally, it's like, this is the big cosmic joke. You know, this is the, this is the joke that the universe plays on us. Well, you're going to have all the energy to do the coolest stuff, but you're going to be dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> and as soon as you get smart, we're going to unplug your battery. You're not too dangerous. <laughs> Is that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely it. <laughs> yeah, that's, fuck. God damn it. Yeah, the only person that seemed to have, like, uh, who, who've, like, belied that law is, like, Donald Trump, who, you know, must, must be on steroids or something. Like, that was the, that was the, the greatest performance of fucking and like just outrageous energy I've ever seen on television in my entire life. It was bizarre. Like, I mean, never. It would have killed once. Yeah. Other people to be in that amount yeah. of stress. And he seemed to thrive off of it, which was distressing. <laughs> it was, well, because he's, he's like the ultimate comic book villain. It's like, he's, yeah, I don't know. He's not going to stop. <laughs> you know, it's like, he has no, he doesn't have the weakness of embarrassment or, or knowledge. You know, he's, he's like a crazy, you know, just like a mutant. <laughs> and, and, and he got in, you know, it'd be one thing if he was just some fucking crazy entertainer, you know, it was where he should have stayed. But all of a sudden, this guy's a leader of the free world. I'm not stopping. Blah, 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 blah. I would get exhausted watching it. It was the, the most bizarre fucking thing I've ever seen. It was like a television show for me. Yeah, watching I f- him. I feel like my mental health is like far better now than it was when he was there. Just I don't have to hear him every day. It'd be a part of my yeah. psyche every single day. Like he was just like hell bent on being in people's lives because of his narcissism. I'm just so glad to have some quiet from it at I, least for a while. 
absolutely amazing. You know, um, absolutely amazing what he did to everyone. And you couldn't, it's hard to look away when the guys, like I say, you know, he's a leader of the free world. And uh, nobody and everybody fell to his spell, you know, whether it be, um, you know, some sort of weird representation for uh, a lot of people's irks. Mm-hmm. Over their lives and whether um, all of it unjustified, as far as I can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, you know, I know you got it bad, but it's not that bad. It's America, you know. It's like you're making this shit up. You're making this shit up in your head. Yeah, you know, you're just mad because you think it's going to be fucking hip hop nation in fifty years. You know, they're mm-hmm. basically just scared. Yeah, scared white people. And you know, they're like. Let's see, we fucked these people over for 200 years. Payback's going to be a bitch. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> it's going to be horrible. And uh, and in their minds, they really think it's going to be, doo, 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 doo. yo, what's up? And I'm hanging from their feet uh, because they can't see it through any other lens than, than the way the black people were treated. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's in their mind, like someday I'm going to be hanging upside down. You know, there's going to be a cross on my lawn. And it's going to be all these people of color like, we're going to get you back. Um, <laughs> never would believe that people would be really that. Stupid. <laughs> out, out of touch. Yeah. And like out of touch with, with progress, like world progress. And something. I thought we were headed in the right direction. And the next thing you know, no, there's more stupid people than you ever even thought existed. Yeah. It looked as you, wow. Yeah. It's, it was an eye opener and it's still, still, Prop <laughs> still uh, blows me away and, and and disturbs me that there's so many of them out there. Uh, right, it's not over yet, you know. But but you know, the thing is that these guys are going to die. You know, what I mean, they're in an age group where most of the people. It's it's not. Of course, it affected a lot of young people too. But <clears throat> the future is you know, a practical, probably more of a practical and more boring society than you and I have known. Because I don't think the culture will be necessarily the culture will be so correct that it won't be as fun. Uh, but you know, it won't be as volatile. Um, but you know, once these people of a certain age, these people my age, you know, these guys who baby boomers that like I can't believe the same guys I went to see Pink Floyd animals with are now like riding around in a pickup truck. You know, <laughs> it is weird. Shooting, <laughs> shooting, like imagine. What are you going to do this week, honey? I'm going to go out in a pickup truck and shoot pepper spray at a bunch of demonstrators. I'm going to stir up some shit. <laughs> what are you doing it for? I don't really quite know why. Just I'm going to live out my movie fantasies. Wow. But, you know, after these guys are gone, it's going to be like all the kids you see. Those people are in charge. They don't want shit. They just want to, you know, they just want to do their thing. So I'm sure it's going to calm down quite a bit. There might be a couple last stands, you know, like I think trust that, you know, Trump was like a certain culture's last, you know, one of their last stands. We're going to make a last stand. My big problem now is not looking like them because I'm that age. (laughs) And uh, I walk, I look at myself in the mirror before I go to the store and I was like, I look like one of, I look like one of those guys that fucking stormed the the, the Capitol. (laughs) What can I do? You know, I just trimmed this beard. <laughs> really? I mean, seriously. It was like, people are looking at me funny. This used to be a sign of, like, rebellion and pride. Now I look like one of these fucking douchebags. Like, 
<laughs> well, you don't have to worry about that. No. Well, Dave, as always, I appreciate it. You're always a pleasure to talk to. And I, Thanks, man. I look forward. How's, how's the kid? Kid's good. How's your five-year-old? She's good. good. She's uh, been in daycare now for three weeks, so it's some semblance of normalcy. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, yeah, I remember having a five-year-old daughter, and it was just she was the most magical thing I had ever seen. I mean, still to this day, I don't think I ever had a a better or you know or more confounding time. <laughs> um, confounding, but in a good way. Meaning, like, who is this creature? Like, what is this? Oh, yeah. And why does it look like me? <laughs> Why does she look like me? It's really, really cool, really trippy. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's an experience that's for sure. I, I waited late to have a kid, so that the age is is is. I have to have my energy recharge all the time. But she definitely helps. <laughs> so it's, but she, she'll definitely help you. You made the right decision. You don't want to do it too early, not in this world. You know, maybe in the old days, but like you'll. You, the older you get, the more you really appreciate it. You're not going to forget stuff. That's yeah. Younger people do. They forget all the good stuff. You'll, this will all be lodged in your memory. Going like, that's usually the funniest stuff you've ever heard in your life come out of these strange little creatures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Who are you? Who are you becoming? <laughs> My brain is growing, Dad. Ah! <laughs> I know. They, you, so they, great. they say stuff, and you're just like, how does that... Where did you get that from? How did you regurgitate that? It's really weird. I, I wrote them all down. I was writing, quoting her all the time at that age. Five was just psychedelic. They're still psychedelic. Point. <laughs> you know, they're saying, all, like, it's so great. I know everything, yet I know nothing. Very true. Very true. All right, man. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Nice talking to you again. You too. And uh, yeah, best of luck with the new record. And I hope to see you guys in Texas sometime in the next few years. That's my fingers are crossed. Uh, yeah. so. All right. Take care, Michael. All right. You too. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Dave Windor for taking out the time for this interview today. It's always a pleasure getting to hear him talk and give his take on things. You can order the band's latest album, A Better Dystopia, wherever records are sold, including the Amazon link, which you can find on my website, Smells like infinitesadness.com for the blog link to this podcast episode. And you can keep track of all things Monster Magnet via the group's website at zodiaclung.com. And as promised, we're closing out today's episode with a group's rendition of Dust Learning to Die. So take a listen and see what you think. And until next time, stay safe and stay sane. <laughs>